Wow, come on. Would you tell somebody it's time to fight? Don't fight each other, though, okay? It's time to fight. Ah, I love this series. Well, some of you know that Pastor was in Vegas with my wife this week. We had a great time. I even took the Raider Stadium tour. This is my new towel. I'm an alumni now. And i got to tell you, my faith is renewed. I believe we will win a Super Bowl again soon. I really do. Oh, believe me, I was walking in certain parts of that stadium, and I was praying even in tongues. I was wa- right here. It's touchdown, right? I went to the end zone. Touchdowns galore in the name of Jesus. I was, I was like, yes, right here, God. Do something. Please, Lord, over here, right here on the 40, don't let Jimmy G get hurt, Lord. He's, he's one hit away from... Season over. Oh, but I'm telling you, it's so good to be home back here. I love uh, being with you, and I know that today God has a word for us. So as you know, throughout this series, we've been focusing on a passage from the Old Testament that has been the foundation for this series. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 13 and 14. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall. At the openings, and I set the people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And notice what he says, And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. He said, fight for your houses. I began this series pointing out that Nehemiah, whose name means Jehovah Comforts, is a type of the Holy Spirit who is called the Comforter. And like Nehemiah of old, our Comforter, the Holy Spirit, he comes alongside us to help us rebuild what has been broken down in our lives, in our relationships, and in our homes, in our families. Now, we also note that there are three things that Nehemiah exhorted or instructed the people to do in the face of the opposition that they were confronting and dealing with in the rebuilding process. He encouraged them and exhorted them to do three things. First, he told them to be armed and ready. And then, secondly, he exhorted them to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And the third instruction was to simply fight, to fight. Now, today we're going to focus on fighting for our houses, fighting for our household. What do you mean by household, Pastor? Whatever your house holds, you need to fight for it. And I don't mean just those that live in your house. But whatever your house holds, even materially, even financially, you need to fight for it. You need to defend it. God calls you to expect His favor and blessing in your entire household. Nonetheless, we face an enemy that will attack those strings or those areas in our home that God has placed us as stewards over. So we're going to focus on fighting for our houses. Now, Let me begin by sharing with you a story. There was a very nervous airline passenger that began pacing the terminal when bad weather delayed his flight. During his walk, 
he ran across one of those insurance machines. It offered $100,000 in event of an untimely death aboard his flight. And the policy was just $3. He looked out the window at the threatening clouds and thought of his family back home. For that price, it was foolish not to buy. So he took out the coverage. He then looked for a place to eat. He settled on his favorite, Chinese food. It was very, it was a very relaxing and calming meal until he opened up his fortune cookie. And it read this way, your recent investment will pay big dividends. <laughs> now, how many of you have experienced news in your house that was discouraging? How many of you have ever experienced in your home news that was devastating? All of us, I'm sure, at one time or another have experienced having to hear a pronouncement, a declaration regarding our house or our household that was discouraging or even devastating. Today we're going to look at a mother uh, of two sons who experienced devastation in her life. Nonetheless, she decided to not only employ by petition, and, and, and all, but also she was willing to take action. And in those two things, of both petition and action, she experienced a miracle in her house. Now, here's what I know about moms. Here's what I know about mothers. Mothers will find a way when there's a need in their home. They will find a way. Mothers aren't embarrassed to search out an avenue by which to see that need met. Now, throughout our trip there in Las Vegas, we, we, we used uh, Lyft drivers to get us to where we wanted to go. And our last Lyft driver, her name is Amanda. I really liked Amanda. In fact, my wife and I, we concluded that Amanda was the best Lyft driver that we had during our experience there. And the reason I felt Amanda was the best was because she drives like me. And so before we went to the airport, we had to stop at Target there. And, and then I, I, I asked for a lift. And, and so she was the driver that was sent. And Amanda came and, and as soon as we got in her car and, and a, a, after she made her first turn, I knew she's my kind of driver. Because see, when she made the turn, it made me lean. <laughs> because she was, Going to make sure we got to where we needed to get on time. And as we continued on our journey to the airport, Amanda pointed out as we inquired about her life and certain segments and parts of it, she began to share with us how she was a divorced uh, wife. And now she uh, had a son that is 19, but he's actually like a four-year-old because he's a special need. So she continues to provide and care for him and really loves him. And, 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 and she was just sharing with us how she prior to her job it was working as a lift driver she had worked for over a decade at the airport so i knew i was in good hands because i knew she knew she, where she was going to go and she was going to get us there on time because she drives like me there were speed limit signs post, posted but amanda was like who cares let's get them there i said that's my kind of driver so and 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 what i what 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 intrigued me about her was i knew because of her backstory that here is a woman that has faced need in her life great needs in her life nonetheless 
She is determined to find a way to make sure that those needs are being met. And that's what we read about in the Bible concerning a woman who found herself in great need. The story is found in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Let's look at it. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. It says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming, notice, to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. Now I want you to notice about this woman, several things. First, her position and condition necessitated intervention and provision. Her position was what that of a woman. And in the culture of that day, a woman had no rights. And a woman that was a widow was really in dire straits. She found herself with no rights and in dire straits because the source of her supply, her husband, was dead and gone. But we notice that her husband prior to his death, was a prophet. And the head of the school of the prophets was Elisha. And when she found herself in that point of need, because of her position and condition, we see that she decided to exercise petition. Why did she call on the prophet Elisha? Because she knew who he represented. He was God's representative. And she knew, if I'm going to get to God, I need to go through his representative. And so she is inquiring of Elisha. And in doing so, she's revealing to us that she knew who to bring her petition to. Another thing I want you to notice that her provision required petition and activation. Her provision required Petition and activation. She not only had to be willing to employ petition, she had to be willing to exercise through activation in order to see her provision. Now, this widow woman, because of her position and condition, found herself in need of God's provision. Watch this. She was willing to do the necessary 
in order to see God do the extraordinary. Mm, let me say it again. She was willing to do the necessary in order to see God do the extraordinary. If you want to fight for your house and see a miracle transpire in your house, you've got to be willing to do the necessary if you want to see God do the extraordinary. There's got to come a point in your mind where you come to the conclusion only God can deliver what I need in my house right now. Only God can turn the tables against what's happened in my house. And here's the thing I want you to remember. Don't you ever forget it. If God is all you have, God is all you need. If God is all you have, God is all you need. Now, as she inquired of the prophet, Elisha, he posed to her two questions. Question number one, what shall I do for you? What shall I do for you? Uh, this question is meant to draw attention to ability. Because remember who the prophet represents. He represents God. And so when Elisha says to her, what would you have me to do for you? What he is saying is, I'm giving you a blank check right now. Because Elisha was God's representative. And if you study the life of Elisha, he had received the double portion of what was in Elisha's, on Elisha's life. And he had miracle working power active in his life. So when he says to her, what do you want me to do? For you, he's telling her, I've got miracle working power active in my life. But the question is, what do you want that power to accomplish in your house? I want you to understand today, we sing about it because he's true. It's true. He is the God of miracles today. He's the same God who opened the Red Sea, who brought down the walls of Jericho. He's the same God who healed blind men and caused dead men to rise. He's the same God who is able to make a crippled man walk straight. It's the same God who's alive today. And he's saying to you, what do you want me to do for your house? Because I've got the power to turn the tables. I've got the power to intervene. I've got the power to bring a rescue mission that will produce what you need for your house. The question is meant to draw attention to ability. Jesus posed a meaningful question to a blind man. In Mark 10, 51, it says, So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Jesus was saying to that blind Bartimaeus, I've got the power. Now I need to know what you want that power to be worked on in your life. How you want that power to operate in your life. Ask me for what you need. Then Elisha, the prophet, posed a second question. <laughs> question number two was, what do you have in the house? What do you have 
in the house. Uh, uh, I remember as a teenager or even as a kid when, you know, you get that certain craving and then you decide I'm going to go open up the refrigerator door. Anybody remember that? When you just feel like I need to eat something and you open it up and, and, and any, any parents have kids that say, there's nothing. And you know there's, there's something. It's just not what they're looking for, right? But they open it. There's nothing in here. And we parents get smart aleck too. We go, oh, there isn't nothing. There's milk right there. There's juice there. There's egg. Don't tell me there's nothing here. Well, what happened when Elisha asked her, what do you have in the house? She said, I have nothing. But. <laughs> you see, that second question is meant to draw attention to availability. What do you have in your house? Mm. Are you ready? Get your seatbelt on. Watch this. In order to move from overwhelmed to overflowing, we have to move from grumbling to gratitude. Instead of complaining about what you don't have, start thanking for what you do have. Because one of the promises of God is that if you and I offer up a thank offering to Him, He says that when we offer up a thank offering to Him, in Psalm 50, 23 in the NIV, He says, He who offers a thank offering prepares a way so that I may show Him the salvation of God. Parents, let's get honest. Who are you more likely to bless? That child is always coming and saying, there's nothing. There's nothing. Or that child that comes alongside and says, thank you so much. Because I know you work hard for what we have. Thank you so much. Huh? Who are you going to bless? You're going to bless the arm that blesses you through thanking you. The one that expresses gratitude. Not because they have everything, but they have the things that they do need. And when you and I come to the Father, not with grumbling and complaining, but we come with thanksgiving, saying, God, thank you. That I'm breathing today. Thank you for the blessings that I do have. Thank you that mercy and goodness are following me today. Thank you that you protected me on the freeway on the way over here. Thank you that I've got a job to drive to today. Thank you that I've got food on my table. Woo! You're preparing the way for God to do more in your life. You see, Philippians 2.14 encourages us to do everything without grumbling, or complaining. Instead of stressing out about what we don't have, we need to express our gratitude 
for what we do have. Being generous with it. We need to place it in God's hands and watch what he does with it. The psalmist said in Psalm 13, 6, he says, I will sing to the Lord. Watch this. Because he has dealt, notice how, bountifully or generously with me. Look at it, look at it. God doesn't cut corners when he blesses us. He deals bountifully generously with us and when we are rooted in him and established in him then we can overflow with gratitude now i want to encourage you today by telling you it's time to break the back of lack it's time to break the back of lack you say how do i break the back of lack pastor here it is here it is don't Focus on what you've lost. Focus on what you have left. Don't focus on what you've lost. Focus on what you have left. The woman had lost her husband. He was dead and gone. And he represented her source of supply. But when she poses a question or presents her petition to Elisha, Elisha says to her in question number two, what do you have in your house? I'm not asking about how you feel about your husband being dead. What do you have in your house? What he was trying to tell her is, you got to quit worrying about what has happened, and you've got to start seeing at what is within your reach, because there's something in your house that is the key for activation of God's power in order that you may experience the provision of God in your life. So don't focus on what you've lost. Focus on what you have left. There's a gentleman back in the 1800s. His name was Edmund McHenim. Edwin, Edwin, Edmund, say Edmund. Yeah, thank you for helping me. McHenny. He was a man in the 1800s who married Mary Eliza Avery of Avery Island, Louisiana. The island produced salt from a mine and they raised cattle and food on their farm. During the Civil War, Union troops under General Nathaniel Banks invaded the island and destroyed the mine, livestock, and farm in the early 1860s. The McHenney family was living hand-to-mouth. One of the few things left on the ruined farm were some plants that reseeded themselves in the garden. So McHenney started experimenting with these plants to make a sauce to help the taste of the food they were left with. What plants had survived? Jalapeno peppers. Others say jalapeno peppers, but jalapeno peppers. Using the provision that God had left him, McHenney began to produce a sauce he called Tabasco pepper sauce. It was quickly picked up and became a staple all over the United States. He came out of debt. He experienced prosperity when he looked at not what he had lost, but what he had 
left. This widow woman was about to experience a miracle in her house. And Elisha prodded her by posing the question, What do you have in your house? That question caused her to look around in her house and she's like, initially, well, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing uh, except for this pot of a little bit of oil. (laughs) You see, sometimes we don't realize what we have around us or how God can use it for blessing. You see, this widow woman, she underestimated what she had in the house. She said nothing except pot of oil. Let, let, let me encourage you to, by telling you what oil represents in the Bible. It represents the Holy Spirit's anointing. It represents the Holy Spirit's power at work. Oil represents the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to get this because you see, don't underestimate the anointing because everything you need is in the anointing. Let me say that again. Don't underestimate the anointing. Why? Because everything you need is in the anointing. What do you mean, Pastor? Your miracle is in the anointing. Your joy is in the anointing. Your prosperity is in the anointing. I want you to, don't miss it. You see, the little bit of oil was the key to the overflow eventually transpiring in her life. You see, you you don't need a, a whole lot of the anointing. You just need a dose of the anointing because once that dose comes on your life and you start activating it starts to flow as an unending supply so I want you to understand today when you drink of his living water it turns into rivers of living water flowing from your innermost being Woo! when you start activating the little anointing that he places on your life, it becomes multiplied. And then what does that anointing do? If you're sad, if you're discouraged, if you're despondent, if you're depressed, he'll give you the oil of joy. And that oil of joy will become your strength. And the devil will not be able to keep you in the pit of despair, but you'll find yourself coming up and out because the anointing will break the back of lack in your life. You see, your deliverance is in the anointing. Let me say it again. Your deliverance is in the anointing. Your promotion is in the anointing. What do you mean, Pastor? The Bible says of Jesus in Acts 10, 38, Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good. And then it says, and healing all who were oppressed, weighed down, tyrannized by the devil. Child of God, there is no reason for your mind to be tormented. There is no reason for you to be in a state of panic and anxiety that is ruling your life because when the anointing hits, it breaks the back. It breaks the back of the power of oppression off your life and the joy of the Lord will flood your soul again. 
Your promotion is in the anointing. You may feel that you're not qualified enough. You may feel that you don't have the goods to have that position. But if God is prodding you, if God is moving on your heart and saying, fill out that application. I know you don't feel like you got the credentials. I know you don't feel like you got the goods. But I have favor on your life that will lift you where you thought you could never go. It's the anointing. Woo! David said in Psalm 23, verse 5, you anoint, watch this, my head with oil. And then what? My cup Ooh, runs over. Did you catch that? Overflow. Overflow. He blesses me how? Bountifully. He blesses me how? generously. He doesn't do it sparingly. He does it abundantly. I want you to understand that today there's an anointing in this house to break the back of lack. You don't have to be skimpy. You don't have to be scraping. You can experience an unending supply by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So, beloved, as we continue to ponder and reflect upon the Scriptures, if you want to fight for the blessing of God on your house, here's something else you need and I, and I need to do. Become the kind of vessel God can use. Become the kind of vessel God can use. Elisha instructed her after she says, I have nothing except or but a little bit of oil. He said, then he said, second Kings four, three, second Kings four, three. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. What kind of vessels? Empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. He said, go borrow vessels from your neighbors. And then he said, what kind? Empty vessels. Why? Why empty vessels? Because the only person that God cannot use is a person who is full of themselves. This past week, I was able to get through a book that I've been longing to uh, finish. It's written by Pastor Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor of Life Church and great church and great man and great ministry. And, and it's called Leading With It, Leading With It. And it has to do with that intangible, that, that secret sauce. And one of the things that he points out is that danger happens in churches and in ministers when they start to believe that they're all it. When they start to believe what everybody is bragging about them. And they start to get full of themselves. Because see, when you get full of yourself, there's no room for God to fill. John said, John the Baptist in John 3.30, He must increase, but I must decrease. The same way, the only way you can experience the increase of God is through decreasing what's in your life. How? Through emptying through pouring out. Mm-hmm. And then, he's, then here's another principle. Don't settle for less. Go for more. Don't settle for less. Go for more. What did he say in Second Kings 4.3? He said, go borrow vessels from where? From 
everywhere. Don't settle for less. Go for more. I love what an old com- biblical commentator by the name of McLaren said. McLaren said this, you have God in the measure in which you desire him. Let me say that again. You have God in the measure in which you desire him. He continues, only remember that the desire that brings God must be more than a feeble, fleeting wish. Wishing is one thing. Willing is quite another. Lazily wishing and strenuously desiring are two entirely different postures of mind. The former gets nothing and the latter gets everything, gets God. And with God, all that God can bring. This is why we are not settling for the vessels that are already in this house. There are more souls in Dinupa. There are more souls in Reedley. There are more souls in Tulare and Fresno County that we need to reach for the kingdom of God. And if we want the anointing to keep flowing, we can't be satisfied with us four and no more. We've got to understand, while we're still here... We are called to go into all the world. Look for more empty vessels. Gather them. Bring them into his house. Because if you will, he'll keep pouring the oil. The anointing will keep flowing. And he'll keep transforming through his power. If you want to fight for the blessing of God. To be prevalent in your life. To be evident in your house. Another thing you need to do is shut the door. Behind you. Shut the door behind. He told her. Once you get all these vessels, gather and bring them into your house. And then he shut the door behind you and your sons. Shut it. Why? Here's why. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret, watch this, will reward you openly. What is Jesus revealing? Private pouring results in public rewarding. Private pouring results in public rewarding. When you make up your mind, I am going to go in secret to the one that is my solution. The one that is truly my source of supply. I'm going to go to the one who is my refuge in private. I'm going to shut the door. I'm not going to call up compa or comadre. And say, you won't, you, you don't, you won't understand what's going on. This is what's happening. You gotta come to a place of recognizing they're not your source. They're not your supply. God is. And nobody needs to know your business. Get in the prayer closet. Get along with God. Because here's what the word says in Psalm 62a. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. Why? God is a refuge for us. You've got a hiding 
place. You've got a shelter for the storm that you can go to. It's in private in the presence of God. And if you'll cry out, you'll pour out your complaint. You'll pour out your worry. You'll pour out your petition. What God will do is then intervene and show himself strong to the degree that when you step out, he's going to show those around you that he's at work in your favor. Woo! And then the Bible says, watch this, in Psalm 126.5, those who sow in tears will reap with joy. Because the same scriptures tell us in the book of Psalms that when our tears are shed, God gathers our tears in a bottle. And then he records in a book. Why? Because... Mm-mm. When you pray, when you cry, when you bring your tears before God in secret, in private, you are demonstrating, Lord, I know that my help comes from you. And watch this. When you shed your tears before God, He records what each tear represents. Each tear is is expressing to Him. But not only does He record your tears and what they represent, He also, I believe, puts on His calendar. And this is the day. This is the moment. This is the hour that I'm going to show up because the God that you cry out to is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. <laughs> Woo! You see, God does some of His best work Behind closed doors. God does some of His best work behind closed doors. Second Kings 4, 8-37. We have the example of the story of the death of the young man, of a well-to-do woman. When Elisha entered the room where the boy's body lay, he shut the door on his mother and his servant. And then in Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26, we read in Matthew 9, 18 through 26, how when Jesus raised a young girl from the dead, he first closed the door on the skeptical crowd. In the first example, Elisha didn't want the distress of the boy's mother to distract him. From getting hold of God. In the second example. Jesus shut up. I want a miracle in your house. You've got to be willing to shut the door. You've got to shut the door on the doubters. You've got to shut the door on the naysayers. You've got to shut the door. Uh, uh, I got a daughter who is a lot like me. And I still remember when... When we, 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 we uh, had to take her to Kaiser Hospital, and my wife will confirm it, that uh, we, nobody knew what was going on in her body. And, 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 and one of the requests of my daughter was, I don't want these people coming in. She was specific. Because she knew there's some people that just want to come and see you and express Oh, this is bad. Or say, oh, man, you know, I had an aunt that had something similar. And they start telling you a sad story. They don't build your faith. By the time they're gone, you're like, 
I'm going to die. Yeah. She was, I don't want these kind of people coming in. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But can I tell you something else? Doubt comes by hearing too. That's why you got to shut the door on the doubters. You got to shut the door on the mockers. You can't let people talk you out of the miracle that God wants to do in your house. You got to make the bold decision. You know, I love you and everything, but right now I don't need to hear. I'm going to shut the door. Oh, y'all sensitive now, huh? But this is what the scripture reveals. What are you saying to us, pastor, today? I'm saying this. You are one petition away from experiencing God's intervention. You are one petition away from experiencing God's intervention. And God is saying to you today, what shall I do for you? Petition me. Because I am the Lord, and there is nothing too hard for me. So here, here is my blank check for you. What do you want me to do for you? You're one petition away from God's intervention. That's why he says, call to me, and I'll answer you. And I'll show you great and mighty things which you don't know of. He says, call to me on the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. And then you are one action away from activation. The moment she got all the vessels in her house that she could and she began to pour. I believe that her and her sons were looking with eyes mid-open. Okay, that one got filled. But then about the fifth one, their eyes went from mid-open to opening up wide. Because they knew when we first started, there was only about this much oil. How can this much oil fill up these five pots? And they kept pouring, and they're like, what's going on here? Uh, what happened was their action triggered the activation of God's power. You heard Connie say it in transition time that Moses stretched out his hand with the staff in it. That action triggered the activation of God's power that came through a strong east wind and divided the waters. What's God telling you to do right now? Some of you are like, I know what He's telling me to do, but I'm, I'm afraid to do it. I would rather fail at doing something than succeed at doing nothing. That's what got Peter out of the boat. 
Are you ready to do whatever God tells you to do? Even when it doesn't make sense in light of your need. What's a little oil going to do to help me with my sons that the creditor wants to take away? What's a little, I, I, I need a whole lot of money to deliver my sons to redeem them from the creditor. I need, there's no way. But if God's in it, then the little you have with God in it will become a miracle through his multiplication power. Fight for your houses by being willing to do the necessary in order to see God do the extraordinary. Father, I thank you for speaking through your word. And I thank you that the anointing of your spirit is here right now. And you're ready to fill empty vessels. You're ready to pour into those that pour out to you. Pour out to you their petition. Pour out to you their worry. Pour out to you their concerns. Pour out to you their frustrations. Because when we pour out in your presence, we make room for you to fill us. And so I'm praying right now, as your anointing is present and flowing, for the overflow, the overflow that you want to give. There are others in this building right now who need fresh oil. They need your oil, your anointing. Because they long for freshness in their walk with you. They long for freshness in their walk with you. And you're ready to grant it to them. And so right now, I know, I know, because I know this word was for today. I know there's individuals in this building right now and those online You're worried. You're fearful. And it's been weighing on your heart. It's been weighing you down. It's been holding you in a state of feeling like a hostage to fear and worry. God is going to break that through the anointing today. I know it. Because today you're going to take action that's going to lead to the activation of His power. You're not going to carry that anymore. You're going to pour it out to Him. Because you realize now He's my refuge. He's my supply. He's my supply of what I need. It's Him. It's Him. It's Him. So that's you. You've been battling with fear. You've been battling with worry want you to step forward right now and I'm going to ask prayer warriors come up here right now we're going to we're going to pray over you we're going to believe for breakthrough right here right now that's you come come don't hesitate come fear and worry have been holding you hostage but you're you're ready to pour that out to God so that he can pour in you his peace but also so that you can experience the activation of his provision of the miracle that he has for your house. 
the miracle that he has for your house it's here right now believe it there's others of you that would say I need fresh oil I need fresh oil I need a fresh anointing on my life I need it I long for it I used to know closeness and intimacy with God but I've been relying on the old stuff and I need that fresh anointing. I need him to anoint my head with oil so that my cup can run over. That's you. You come as well. Come. 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 This is your moment. As PW begins to sing this song, I want you to wake, make your way up if you know. That's you. You come. You want fresh oil or that you need fear and worry broken off your life. You come. <laughs> 